0: Hello, this is an update from your host, Vittorio. We recorded this episode in August. At the time, the working group did not select a draft yet, and the interview content reflects that. Since then, the working group did select a draft eventually. You can find the relevant link in the episode notes. Enjoy the show. Buongiorno, everybody, and welcome. This is Identity Unlocked, and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocz. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specs and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by of Zero. In this episode, we focus on the grant negotiation and authorization protocol. Our esteemed guest today is Dick Hart, founder at Sanyon.org of Identity 2.0 to fame, and among other things, author of the OF2 specification. Welcome, Dick. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. It is traditional that we start uh, with a short summary of your journey that brought you on working on identity. Would you share that with us?
1: Sure. I'm probably a little older than, well, I know I'm older than you, Vittorio. My undergrad was in mechanical engineering, and I started fiddling around with Windows 103, and as I found in my career, I was always very early in each sort of new technology wave. I was working on mail systems back in 87, Had a startup and was working with neural networks back in the early 90s. Wow. And then in 93, I was at a consulting company, and I hooked them up to the internet so we could mail our customers. Little nailed up 28k line, and then I got into the early days of web hosting. But I've been working on Windows, and everyone was using Perl, and so I talked Microsoft into paying me to port Perl over to Windows, and that led to starting up a company, ActiveState, with O'Reilly and Associates. Tim was on my board. Very fun working with him. Nice. And so we were an open source company a couple of years before open source had been defined, and then. We sort of pivoted in the company as spam became a big issue. And one of the top pieces of tech for working with spam was Spam Assassin written in Perl. We know how to make Perl run fast with SendMail. And so we got into the anti-spam business, which also partly is somewhat of the identity business because you want to know who is the sender. That took off and became most of our revenue and led to the sale of the company. But before we did that, we'd also gotten into working with O'Reilly and Associates, who we had a marketing relationship with. And so I got thinking like, well, it'd be great if somebody signs up for one of our websites, that they could just click a button and sign up for the other website, right? You know, we had over a million users a month coming through our site. They had a lot of the same users. And so we were trying to figure out how do we do that. And that's kind of really how I got started into identity
0: very nice.
1: And I founded a company, Skip Identity. We were trying to go and solve internet identity once again. I was like super early, that migrated into becoming the Open ID protocol, and we created the Open ID Foundation because the uh, IETF people were mean to us and sent us away. <laughs> and so we says, okay, we'll just take all of our toys and create our own sandbox. Nice. And then I went and worked at Microsoft, and the OAuth one had come out, and I'd sort of just been tracking what had happened, but. It was pretty complicated for people to deploy. They had to go and sign things. And a lot of that was because they had a requirement of not wanting to use TLS. I sat back and I thought, you know, I don't know that that's such a hard requirement anymore. And so myself and Adam from Yahoo and who is it from Google and one of my colleagues at Microsoft sort of started working together. We wanted to call it OAuth but Aaron hammer Levy, that was working on OAuth didn't want it to be OAuth unless it was building on top of OAuth. So we gave it a new name, RAP, and we rolled it out at IW, and then all the OAuth people were kind of freaking out because it was really the same problem as OAuth, and so we agreed to call it OAuth-RAP, which we, of course, had wanted to just call it something OAuth. And then at the same time, the standardization was starting to happen of OAuth in ITF, so I presented the OAuth, the RAP stuff at ITF and that was the basis for what became OAuth 2. And when I was at Microsoft, I also worked on what eventually became JSON Web Tokens because we knew one wanted a token format for people that didn't already have a token, but we didn't wanna dictate the token in OAuth. And then after that, I just kept doing identity stuff, did a bunch of consulting and eventually Amazon convinced me to go and join them. When I was there, I drove what's now the Fast Fed standard that's coming up because of all the pain and people just the control plane of setting up federation. We had federation standards for how everything talked together, but it would take somebody that wasn't familiar with it a couple of weeks to get it all up and running. So Fast Fed goal is to make it so people just click through and federate so that more and more of enterprises, even if you only got 10 people, if you're using... Azure or Google for your email, which you probably are that you just click through and federate to GitHub or whatever else without having to create new accounts for everybody. And I also got active in RISC, which was an open ID protocol for sharing events. And then I was also working on security events. And now I'm on signin.org to go and solve internet identity once again.
0: Nice, I guess that we'll hear more about that in a second. Well, that was uh very impressive, like you clearly were early on everything. you had your hands uh, in so many things that are uh, ultra relevant today and just uh, to so we continue a tradition, when did we meet again? I have a feeling that we've been like uh, running into each other since forever, like the earliest memory I have with you was uh at some IIW uh,
1: when uh, we were still working on information cards. Do you remember when we met? I think that I remember sort of around that time, but I've just got this strong memory of you talking somewhere loudly and me thinking, like, that looks like a real fun guy. I should get to know him. (laughs) Nice.
0: I'm very glad that uh, we eventually did. Uh, It's been a really nice ride wonderful, fantastic. This was a powerful introduction. It's going to be hard to top it. Thanks again for being willing. Is to discuss this new initiative, which just recently got christened GNAP, which stands for Grant a Negotiation and Authorization Protocol. It's a new initiative just started recently. And I'd love to hear from one of its protagonists, that would be you, what it is about. Like in particular, what is it and what is a high level, the problem that it's trying to solve?
1: Well, I think to talk about GANAP, you need to sort of go back to OAuth and OpenID Connect and what's happening in those two areas. OAuth is now 10 years old and the world has changed dramatically. Mobiles, phones are the, is the most popular way for people to log into things. The web is still important, but a lot of browser mechanisms have changed as browsers are trying to be more privacy-protecting. OAuth has been wildly successful as a protocol, and so people are trying to squish it into doing things that weren't really what it was initially designed for. And there was also, because of, like any standard, some politics going on, there were some features in OAuth that I wasn't super keen about, but, you know, okay, as long as we don't abuse that, that's okay. Okay. But, of course, people use those things incorrectly, and we've had to go and tune up what best practices are and things. And so, of course, there's the OAuth 2.1 work, which I'm involved in, which is really just taking all of the OAuth 2 stuff, all the best practices, and putting it all in one document so people can easily understand what's going on. But there's a lot of other really interesting things going on around what people are trying to do, right? That They're trying to do much more advanced, identity protocols. You know, an OAuth wasn't designed for identity, for authentication. It was designed for authorization and OpenID Connect layered on top of that. There's been always these issues of sort of the front channel of it being very web browser oriented in OAuth. And a bunch of thinking got into well, little, maybe we can start off back channel. And then another thing is well, rather than having a client ID in secret, you know, which is you know a shared secret, which as you start to go and build much more distributed applications is problematic around how do you move that secret? Getting that secret to things has been one of the big challenges because a number of things can't have a secret. And so then how do they identify themselves? But today, unlike 10 years ago, asymmetric cryptography, public key cryptography. The machinery is much faster. The APIs are much more widely available. It's a much easier technology to work with, right? You now have asymmetric crypto APIs available in browsers. Just as for people that aren't familiar with what that is, it's really where you have a one key to sign things or to encrypt things and a different key to verify things or decrypt them. In general, what we're using this for is really signing and verifying it. But no, now you're not trying to share a secret between the two parties that are communicating. The party that's getting it just has a public key. So it can't pretend to be the other party, which gives you a lot better security principles. And so with that, you can start to have the client in an OAuth model, you know, the thing that wants access resources, can just say, I've got a key pair, here's my public key, and you can do what's called trust on first use, where the first time that client goes through the flow with a user present, the user says, yes, I trust that client. And then that same client can go and say it's the same client again all the time. right? But nothing else can prove that they're that client because it's the only one that has that private key.
0: So let me pause you there because like we are uh, digging super deep, uh, super fast. And let me try to summarize. Basically, what you did there was uh, identifying a number of areas where... Uh, The current design of OAuth doesn't really take into account some of the new scenarios that emerged in the meanwhile since the moment in which OAuth was created, and some of the mechanics that OAuth relies upon, which were, again, a product of the time in which OAuth was designed, are now not taking advantage of some of the things that instead we could do which work better but that uh, weren't enshrined in the off back in the day. Yes. How am I going? Yes. Is this a... Yeah. Okay, perfect.
1: Great. I'm just looking at my notes, and I have a nice little cheat sheet of what are the main issues in OAuth 2. So one of those is the front-channel security, bouncing back and forth through the front-channel. Now, we've addressed that with something that we refer to as Pixie PKCE, which is sort of a bit of signing so that it helps that, but you know it's extra work to do that. Now another issue is the what you can ask for in the request when a client wants access to some resource is constrained because you're trying to push all of that over the front channel in a browser redirect. There's a new standard being evolved called PAR for pushing and authorization requests and RAR for a rich request with an OAuth, but you're tacking these onto OAuth. Near-term, those are great solutions, but you, but stepping back, the idea of GNAP is now that we have a new world and a new, better understanding of a much broader set of use cases, is there a better way, easier way, simpler way to do the same things and also to make it easy to do things we couldn't easily do before? You know, another issue with OAuth 2 is sort of all the different endpoints. I already talked about how do you authenticate dynamic clients and issues with shared secrets. And it wasn't designed for authentication.
0: Great. So let me again summarize the part that you mentioned so far. The essence is OAuth has extensibility points baked in and ITF is taking advantage of those extensibility so that some of those extra capabilities are being layered on top of OAuth. What you are suggesting is that, uh, although that works, longer term, it's possibly more efficient to backtrack instead of dealing with the constraints of a general of design. If you start from scratch, and if you bake in some of these uh, new requirements, then you'll end up with an uh, easier specification.
1: Yeah. Is that along the lines of what you were saying? Yes. I mean. I would say that a number of the extension points, how people are extending OAuth weren't necessarily designed extension points, but they're logical extension points because of the technologies that OAuth was built on. But it does touch on another one of the design goals of GNAP, which is we have a better idea of where extensions might happen. So let's design in extension points so that it's really straightforward how to add and extend in in a number of different dimensions.
0: Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. And here, just because uh, we try in here to maintain uh, both perspectives, as in the perspective of uh, the protocol design and the perspective of the people building solutions on top of those protocols, one thing that I just want to make sure that uh, we clarify is that uh, from the point of view of someone that is uh, consuming, let's say, a, a library of some kind, and this library implements... Either off plus extensions or the new protocol. From the point of view of expressive power, those things uh, that uh, you are trying to achieve uh, in GNAP are still achievable with what you have today with off and extensions. It's just that if you open these uh, SDK and you see what's inside, in the case of GNAP, you'll see something uh, more clean, uh, more well designed, better engineered. Whereas uh, in off, you might see a number of the same. Jewelry rigged, let's say, extensions, but ultimately from the point of view of a developer, those things that you mentioned are possible already today with Off Plus extension, correct?
1: Well, there's some new things that we're experimenting with in GNAP that are not part of any of the extensions in OAuth. And in many ways, that is what motivated me to get involved in GNAP. Was there is features. That I wanted to have in Sunnun.org, where there's no straightforward way to include that in OAuth2. For what developers are doing today, right? They they should just keep using it. And I think, as you say, a lot of libraries are going to support both, and it may not really matter to the developer for what they're doing. But long term, there's probably some functionality that will only be provided through a GNAP interface. But all of that functionality is, those are just experiments now. There isn't anything deployed that is using anything like that, and none of those things are really figured out. But it's a lot easier to experiment with those things in GANAP than trying to layer them onto OA. And we can dig into one of those if you'd like.
0: I would absolutely love to. But at this point I think it might be interesting to take a, a little step back, consider given that it just happened, how it coalesced, how Gnap coalesced into a working group. What was the genesis? I think it's interesting to see like how this new island emerged from the ocean, got like a how it happened. And given that you are at the very center, I'm really curious to hear how you tell the tale of how Gnap
1: came to be. Sure. So first of all, I wouldn't say that I was at the center of it until recently, and I can share what I know about how everything happened. So a lot of the concepts in GANAP were part of something called transactional authorization or TXAuth that Justin Ricker was working on. has been working, it's been trying to promote and get people excited about it for a number of years. He cornered me one time at one of the things and said, like, well, why don't you take a look at this? And at the same time, I was thinking of how did I do some functionality in sign As so I looked at the whole rich conversation that Gnap has, where GNAP starts off with a client talking to the authorization server. I realized, oh, I can layer what I'd like to do right into that, and that I can see how this simplifies a whole bunch of things. So at a high level, I was pretty excited with what he was doing. I've been pretty involved in ITF and have chaired a couple of different working groups. Justin had suggested that I co-chair the BOF, the Birds of a Feather, which is how you start up a working group in ITF. So I agreed to do that. And I co-chaired the first couple of meetings that we had in getting everybody interested in it. And because I was interested, I was out promoting it. And then I think that sort of helped that people didn't think it was just this crazy idea that Justin had that somebody else that they respected was getting into it. And that, I think, helped build up a bunch of the sort of community and interest in it. And then, of course, you know, we had all kinds of exciting times and getting it all off the ground as anything that's a new movement, everybody would like their special thing included in it. So there was a lot of churn on exactly what was in scope and what wasn't in scope. So I would say a lot of the flavor I wanted has been added into it.
0: Let's add a bit of details to that. Like in practice, what does it mean? How did this interaction happen? You mentioned that you did the bird the feather. This is basically a meeting that happened in the context of one of the biannual conferences of the ITF, right? So it was like one room in one hotel in some city. Was it in Montreal maybe?
1: It wasn't in Montreal. It was in Singapore.
0: OK. So in Singapore, in the context of this mega meeting of IETF, in which people go and discuss advancement of specific protocols, you had this bird of feather in which people intervened heard, got excited. And then what happened? Mailing list?
1: No. So actually, a mailing list gets started. So that the auth list, the list still for GANAP is called TXoth. Okay. So there was some discussion about that. Once you get enough people, a few people subscribe to the list, then they'll call a, a off, right? And so I chaired the meeting. And what we did is we had a number of people present. There was a lot of debate. Should there be a new working group? Should this work be part of OAuth? It wasn't clear how that should happen. And so my role was really to drive a lot of that conversation to figure out what do the people involved want to do? Where should we do this? And what made the most sense?
0: And the consensus was to create a new working group?
1: The consensus was to create a new group, yes. And part of the reason for that is the OAuth group already has two sessions at IETF, and there's all kinds of work happening there already. And so some brand new thing could be looked as like super distracting for that, where if you're if you are creating a new layer, why don't we create that in a new working group so it's focused, and then the people that are only care about the new work can subscribe to that list, and the people that only care about all the stuff that's going to be practical in the near future would be on the OAuth list. And the people are interested in both, they subscribe to both, right? But they can separate the topic instead of having them all on the same layout list.
0: And so both at timescale scale uh, different. Let's say that uh, Grapp is featured looking whereas OAUTH is very much tactical for today, But also the other thing that I think is really important to mention is that the graph working group doesn't feel constrained by existing tech, right? You guys are going to produce something that doesn't have to interoperate with OAuth, right?
1: Correct. It doesn't need to be backwards compatible with OAuth or OpenID Connect. In the charter, we do want to make it easy for someone to migrate from those two platforms, right? But there's no requirement that it interrupts. Where? Anything happening in OAuth needs to have interop in the OAuth working group with OAuth.
0: That makes sense. So this is going to be, uh, today I have all my appliances, in particular my hairdryer with uh, the European plug, and the moment in which you move to this the next step, uh, the plugs are going to be different. So uh, migration is possible. There shouldn't be any expectation that things uh, talk to each other out of the box if one is using a uh, of uh, era generation protocols versus uh, GNAP era generation protocols.
1: Correct, but as you said, I can imagine that libraries would support both and that large authorization servers will support both and that both protocols might be being used. I mean, one comparison is OAuth is like what FTP was in the early days of the internet. That was the way to move around files. And then HTTP came out you're still moving files around, but the model's different than it was in FTP. And so GNAP is kind of like the HTTP model, right? That's- but you could also compare the two of like HTTP and HTTP2, right? HTTP2 works differently than HTTP, right? It takes advantage of a bunch of other modern functionality. You're still moving things around, but there's different features you can do. So like anything, no analogy is perfect.
0: Of course, of course. I remember that there was a like one of the big discussions that I've observed in the list was that there were two different drafts that were embodying the principles behind the up. You want to expand a bit on that?
1: Yes, there are two drafts. I looked at what Justin had written up and a lot of it was concept and some of it was specified. I had some different ideas around how to do some of those, and I thought that the best way of expressing those was to write a different draft. Justin gave me a bunch of feedback on that, and I adjusted that draft a bunch. And then as I continued to work on it and think about it, the models I had evolved a whole bunch. Lately, the drafts, there's some features of the draft that have drifted a little bit closer together. But Justin has his opinions on how some things should happen, and I have some different opinions given that we both have. Significantly different experience around how to do some things. And so I think those two drafts are the basis for us to think about how do we go forward and look at which way on those things is potentially better overall. And that maps into the ITF rough consensus process, which is it may not work how you'd like it to work, right? But is it going to hurt you? Do you have an issue with it? It isn't that you get what you want, it's that what you get will work. For you, yeah. My undergrad was in mechanical engineering, so I am way more of a practical. How do I just get what I want to do and done? I want people to be easily understand what the heck's going on. He's much more of a computer scientist, and so some of his models are a little more pure from a model and conceptual point of view as to how he represents things. And to me, you know, that wasn't as important to me. To me, it was more around well, what does somebody already know? And how do they map what they know to the protocol?
0: It makes a lot of sense. But, well, the IETF process can sometimes be painful when you're trying to drive toward the consensus. But ultimately, I think that the result is usually good. That is to say that the process eventually makes bubble up the goodness of a specific idea. So I'm confident that the combination of these two camps and, like I've seen, that there are lots of other contributors to the list. So... I'm confident that the end result will be good. This was a fantastic summary of how we ended up with uh, the GNAP working group. Now, I was wondering, can we dive in one of those uh, specific scenarios that are, uh, let's say, GNAP exclusives, as in things uh, that uh, are hard or impossible to achieve with off, but instead are very natural with GNAP?
1: Sure. Well, one of the caveats is that it wasn't clear to me how to put these features into OAuth, but it was clear, easy to, for me to see how to do in GANAP. And long-term, it could be easy to backport these things to OAuth. The next thing is I probably need to provide some context about what is signin.org and what are we trying to do? The idea of sign-in.org is how do we solve the identity problem for consumers? How do we get consumers to have a... Provider, so they can just log in once and they just pick one provider and they can log in everywhere. You know, one of the challenges in that is today the developer picks which providers to show on their app. But what if we put an abstraction layer where developers used signin.org and then the user could pick whichever provider they wanted, they could change providers. And so essentially that's what signin.org is. But since there's no users in signin.org right now, I wanted to have an easy mechanism for developers to incrementally support signin.org. And one way of doing that is that more and more applications are going where they ask the user to identify themselves first, right? They type in their email and then they get prompted for a password later. And that identifier first flow enables a site to have any kind of authentication mechanism they want, right? They're not asking for username password, right? Whatever the user gets prompted with is based off of the user after they've self-identified. If the user, in an enterprise case, maybe it bounces them over to their enterprise IDP. If the user's enabled, say, FIDO authentication, the user then gets prompted to touch FIDO. Or if they have a password, of course, they're asked to provide their password. And so with that, I wanted to go and enable a site to go with that identifier, the email address, to query signin.org to see, is this user have an account at signin.org? And if so, you show the button only if the user has an account. Or if you only want to use signin.org, right, if the user doesn't have an account, you explain what it is and that they will need to create an account over there, right? So the experience you show the user is dependent on whether or not that email address is in signin.org. And so I needed to have some API to query to see if you already have this user. And if that API is effectively part of the initial GNAP setup call, right? The app doesn't need to make another call if it does want to use signin.org, right? So it says, here's what I would like from the user. The site can return back and says, okay, this is how you can interact with the user. And yes, I've seen that user or no, I've not seen that user. And then the app can decide, does it even show the sign-in.org button? If the user's there, it just shows it. If not, they may not do anything or they may say, okay, we only use sign-in.org. explains what it is so people understand why they're going to get sent over there. If they already have a sign-in.org account, they'll know what the button means when it shows up.
0: That makes sense. And how does this project at the protocol level?
1: So this is in an app, right, you've got this rich request that the client is making of saying you. there's a section for the client to identify itself, a section for the client to identify the user it thinks or knows that it's interacting with, a section to say what claims it would like to get about that user, and a section about what authorizations the client would like to have. And so it was really easy in this then to go and add the email identifier into this user section. Within GNAP, so that I got the results I wanted coming back. And so I've written that up as an advanced feature for GNAP because it was so, and it's very easy to do because it just folds into the GNAP message format very easily, where that doesn't really exist in OWA today.
0: I see now. So the fact that the GNAP has a very rich structure for a the- communicating to the authorization server, the details of the request, but also other things like users and similar, allowed you to carry that information. And I can see also what you were saying earlier, which is uh, technically you could use par for shoving this information in the request, but the other part is like schema-free, then uh, it wouldn't be like, it's technically possible, but uh, it would not be as uh, easy. Like, you wouldn't have uh, intelligence to use uh, a developer terminology here. Correct. That's really nice. And Kira, like, uh, allow me to be dumb because also I can't help. You mentioned earlier something about uh, the front channel and the fact that the uh, front channel has lots of uh, challenges and the threat model associated to it is complicated. The scenario that you just described, I can imagine that happening on the browser. So the request that you are envisioning would be done. Is it done from the browser to the authorization server on an interactive uh, endpoint? Like, I don't know what endpoints we have in GNU, but in Off that would be the authorization endpoint. Or do you envision these requests to be done as in uh, server to server? How would you avoid the front channel in that particular scenario?
1: Well, if it's a browser-based app, right, it's just calling the grant server's endpoint directly, right? It's not redirecting the user through a browser page to, you know, with the authorization server or open IDE provider. And so, you know, that all is happening before the user's even making a decision about what they want to do, right? The client is essentially doing a pre-flight And it might find out that it isn't able to do anything, and so it doesn't even bother the user. Where in OAuth, you essentially need to go and redirect the user over to the authorization server, but that client might not be allowed to do that at all. You don't know. You've had to send the user over there. The user's had to authenticate just to have the authorization return back and say, no, you're not allowed to do that.
0: I see. So you'd have a client that before rendering anything at all would just hit your uh, grant endpoint with the request. And then depending on what it gets back, it would decide to either render the button or not. This would allow you to do this uh, regardless of your rendering engine. As in, like, if you are a web app, you do this on a web page. But if you are a mobile client, you can do exactly the same flow even if you don't have uh, a browser uh, available for doing the direct. Right. Am I catching this in the right way?
1: Yes, and, and that ties into another aspect of GANAP, which is there's another chunk called interaction. And so the client says, if you need to interact, you, the authorizations or a grant server in GANAP, need to interact with the user, here's the ways that I can start off interacting with the user. And then the grant server can look at that list and decide which, if any, of those it wants or if it even needs an interaction and send that back to the client. And so for example, one of the proof of concept apps I wrote was a little command line utility that uses GNAP. right? That command line utility creates its own public private key pair it makes a call to the grant server and gets back a result. And one of those results is a URL that could be rendered as a QR code and then the, on the command line, it just prints out that QR code. I can take my phone, scan that QR code. I pop into the authorization server, go through the regular authorization flow, and when I'm done, my command line tool now has a token for it to go and access the, whatever resources it was asking for, right? Without it's a very clean, simple experience, and you're enabling the client and the grant server to have that negotiation. Now today. Right, people sort of bake that into this is exactly how this client's gonna work, right? But you might have some optionality. So for example, a web app, it may be able to go and redirect to my authorization server. But if I've got an app on my phone that also represents my, you know, it's an interface to my authorization server, might be a lot easier for me to scan a QR code on a web page on my desktop to log in. Than to go and have to fiddle around and figure out how do I authenticate to the authorization server in a web page because I've already got this phone security on that might be a lot easier and a lot better, and so that enables not just the negotiation between the client and the grant server but also between the client and the user as to what experience works better for the user.
0: Great, fantastic. Again, trying to summarize and synthesize. The scenario that you described are uh, all scenarios that today we achieve uh, with the developer explicitly baking in the capability in their client in advance. So the scenario with a QR code, uh, you do it with a uh, off-to-device grant. The other scenario with mobile app, you do the usual mobile tricks that we do today. The web app is the same. But the point of uh, GNAP is that you can uh, negotiate those behaviors at runtime as opposed to having to bake these in the design of your app.
1: Correct. Right, and provide that optionality to the user, where in general, today in OAuth, you pick one way, right? You can't really do multiple ways. And it also then is an extension point. As there's new interaction mechanisms come out, we can define those, and those can be negotiated without both the client and server having to deploy them at the same time. The client says, I'd like to do this, the server, I don't know what that is. And then when the server does know what it is, then it could be offered.
0: That makes complete sense. Like Today, like my experience uh, was, um, especially when uh, back in the .NET days, like .NET can run in so many different environments. And so your application might wake up on a device that has no browser at all. And then you need to have a big switch statement that says, if you wake up in this situation, do the device flow. If you wake up on a mobile uh, environment where you have a system browser, use the system browser, it was all code that had to be written by the app. And instead, if we'd have uh, this kind of uh, new protocol, then uh, we'd perhaps be able to bake these into SDKs so that the developer doesn't really have to do the coding that we have to do today for differentiating between both scenarios. Right. Fantastic. Great. Like this is ultra interesting, but I'm keeping an eye on the clock and I see that we are uh, nearing uh, our limit. So let me try to summarize. GNAP presents a new approach to many of the things that uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect uh, have been doing today. It sheds a lot of the constraints that uh, often and OpenID Connect uh, have because simply of their age. And so it allows you to achieve some of the scenario that we do today in a cleaner way. And so the resulting protocol is cleaner. The time horizon is still reasonably far, right? Like it's still pretty experimental.
1: It's definitely experimental. The time horizon, like any standard, uh, took a couple of years to go through. And so a lot of that is just how well is the working group functioning and how well do we get to get to consensus? How much time do people need to do it? So GNAP may never emerge as a standard. It might be five years, right? And it could be a year, but even when it's out, that doesn't mean people should stop using OAuth and OpenID Connect, right? It's just another tool in people's tool chest about what they could go and use. Wonderful,
0: fantastic. Thanks again for uh, taking the time to join us. This was a tour de force. I'm sure that lots and lots of people heard about group and uh, will appreciate the clarity that you brought to the topic. I hope that you'll come back uh, on the show in the future because like, you are working on so many interesting things you also mentioned uh, of 2.1 and Sagnon.org, of course. I hope that we'll have more opportunities to feature you. But until then,
1: thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is Identity Unlocked. The music for this podcast, composed and performed by Marcelo Walowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by OfZero.